Welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into blockchain and all the emerging technologies that shape our world at the intersection of business, politics, and economy. It's what we cover right here on Forecast News. I'm Forecast Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau and your host. Well, Bitcoin's return to 10,000, decentralized finance and central bank-backed digital currencies, well, the blockchain space and the industry sure made strides in the year 2020. And certainly that's the case uh, for Diginex here, making a historic moment for blockchain. A crypto exchange on the NASDAQ, the first digital currency exchange to be publicly listed in the US, raising $50 million from private investors and then redeeming shares of its SPAC or reverse listing on October 1st, 2020. So we welcome back to the show right now, Diginex CEO, Richard Byworth. Richard, it's great to see you again. Great to see you too, Angie. How have you been? It's been very good, but probably not as busy as you. I think the first, the, the the time we talked before was right ahead of your NASDAQ listing. So congratulations for that and becoming the first company with a crypto exchange to do so. So how has the reception been so far? Yeah, look, thanks very much for that. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been an amazing entry into public life. Um, certainly a baptism of fire as well, just sort of making sure that all the governance protocols are in place. Um, having that sort of structure around the board and, and risk committees and all the various different ways that we have oversight that, you know, is the whole point of getting a company like ours listed on NASDAQ is to really raise the governance standards on this industry and the level of transparency as well. So, yeah, look, it's uh, even for us, it's, it's definitely been uh, a, a transformative time. Well, how, how are mainstream investors uh, via NASDAQ viewing Diginex? I'm taking a look at, at uh, just your uh, history so far year to date. I mean, you're, you're still pretty brand new, but off your 52-week high of $13 per share, what, what do you think is driving sentiment uh, of the sell-off that we're seeing at the moment? Um, look, I think Diginex is is a name that that is not particularly front of mind in the US at this point in time. We need to do a lot of work with investors to get the profile of the company out there. Obviously, the exchange is newly launched. Um, I think last time we spoke, we'd, we'd pretty much just launched. Um, now we're regu regularly hitting $10 million of volume uh, on the exchange, and we're looking at launching a whole load of new project pro uh, products over the next few weeks. Um, so that will really start to drive volume and I think gain more and more notice across the industry. And then when people find out, obviously, we're publicly listed, I think that starts to change the tone. But more and more, you know, I've got people approaching me and say, look, we've started to, to get involved a little bit with your stock. I think that, uh, you know, what you guys are doing is very transformative for the industry, but it's great to have a way to play this in the public markets. The way we're referred to in, in the public markets is a picks and shovels trade. Um, so it's a play on the sort of the ecosystem of the industry, <clears throat> everything that's going to uh, advance and, and gain fees as we as we grow this industry and grow the underlying asset class. So you you mentioned uh, that you'll be uh, presenting or, or uh, you know, providing uh, some new products to the market. Can you clue us in? Uh, yeah, look, we've got um, we've got our roadmap in the public domain with the SEC. So a lot of what's coming now is derivative product. Um, we're starting with sort of the basic leverage style product of perpetual swaps. Um, that'll be in Bitcoin and ETH predominantly. 
Um, we're rolling out on exchange credit. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that's coming that will really start to uh, focus the mind uh, around Equos and what we're doing. You know, it's interesting. It, it is that kind of uh, bet that if you're not deep into the weeds, which is, you know, obviously what your crypto investors are doing on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. uh, and if you want to participate uh, from, from the next level up, so to speak, that you could still participate without you know, uh, seeing the roller coaster rides that, you know, every time, every time we see interest uh, in trading in the markets, either good or bad, uh, the exchanges always uh, make out fine. So it's interesting yeah, exactly. that those are the bets. Yeah, exactly. It's the toll collection trade. It's like the, the trade to play or pay. Um, effectively, markets go up, markets go down. You know, the, these ecosystem trades, these platform trades are the ones that benefit. And, you know, we were always of the opinion that the industry needed to take that step forward to be able to give a level of transparency and governance that will give people comfort in onboarding on an exchange. I mean, look, you know, you've seen a number of issues with centralized exchanges over the last few weeks, even um, all of which, you know, by being a NASDAQ listed, regulated um, and placed to effectively have governance around protocols around like key storage. Um, these are the things that give sort of um, a better level of uh, certainty and security to investors. What do you think is lacking in the education uh, amongst uh, some of your more traditional uh, investor types, the institutional types that are still uh, a little wary or, or unfamiliar with the space? You mentioned it earlier, I think, you know, a lot of us in the industry sit and, you know, we're in this sort of echo chamber all day long and this is what we live and breathe. And you're obviously a big proponent of this for institutional investors as a, as a technology as well. But I think that it's just, it takes time to really get your head around what the value attributes of an asset like Bitcoin are or how assets could be moved with a blockchain uh, transmission network. And I think this is, these things are actually a little bit complicated. And I think the industry doesn't always help itself in terms of overcomplicating things with jargon and, uh, and so on. And so I think that really, to your point, education needs to keep continuing. I spend a lot of time talking to investors about the, the positive attributes of this technology, but also the particular assets that, uh, that sit on these networks. So. I think education needs to continue. We need to be out there front and center, people like yourself, um, you know, keep pushing the, the narrative and explain to people why this is so important. Mm. And as you say, um, during COVID, such an important moment for this as well, in terms of the overall adoption of digital. I mean, you just take a look at the space that we're in, uh, Richard, uh, in Asia and Hong Kong and just the adjacent regions. And, you know, the statistics couldn't be more clear. There is intergenerational wealth here that uh, is growing. Uh, and if you take a look at the average portfolio of the Asian investor, 40% uh, of people's portfolios exist in cash and alternative assets. You know, if that doesn't tell you about the scope of the opportunity, which is clearly what we see, and this is the market that we are serving as well, um, you know, there there is a lot of money swishing and swashing around in this region. But I am curious, though, does being listed on the NASDAQ now 
allow you to draw in that kind of uh, investor into uh, Equos and, and Diginex? Yeah, look, it's been it's been very accretive already. Um, we've seen a lot of investors and and people that want to start to get involved in the space start to finally say, okay, this is a company that I feel more comfortable with, um, that I can finally start to onboard. I mean, to your point, when you're sitting there talking to a family office or or whatever, you know, an, an investment firm that is sitting on forty percent cash. When you've just seen the US dollar money to supply increase by 20% over the last eight months, you you know, what are you doing sitting on that cash? And I think that this is why we've started to see the trend of many public companies move their treasury actually with quite a sizable allocation towards Bitcoin because you've finally got a scarce digital asset. And that in itself is a huge, huge um, value driver. It's a value driver, it's liquidity into the market, and it just grows those opportunities. Do you expect other companies to get publicly listed? We already know of a few in this space, uh, but yeah. but how important is that public listing? I think the public listing, it comes with a number of um, effective assurances for the investor. You know, we had to go through an approval with the SEC the SEC combed through a 470-page document of every item of history of this company, uh, everything that we're doing, and our forward-looking roadmap. And, you know, the SEC had to get comfortable with that. We had regular back-and-forth questions and assessment of what it was we were doing. Um, and then we had the process with NASDAQ itself. I mean, NASDAQ is a regulator. They're, you know, mm-hmm. as an exchange, they're a regulator. And, again, same process. So... Once you've had those two, one of the, two of the most credible regulators in the world, you know, look through your business and assess it, you know, that's, that's the, the point where you get that investor assurance. To yeah. your point, to your question around, do we expect to see more public companies move into the, uh, sorry, private companies in this industry move to being public? Absolutely. I, I can tell you that since we actually finalized our SPAC, did the business combination, we've had three of the world's largest crypto companies approach us and ask how we did it um, and uh, and what sort of process they would have to go through to getting those governance standards in place to become a listed company. Um, so it yeah, sounds the, like that's another business arm now for Diginex is uh, the advisory yeah, role. <laughs> the advisory is, uh, put it under Diginex Capital again, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I mean, you you have mentioned that Equos will adhere to the CFTC regulated model. It's currently based in Singapore. How do you, th- you know, obviously, um, CFTC, SEC, NASDAQ, how do you think the listing is going to drive uh, your roadmap potentially into US operations while maintaining your Asian base? So just to be really clear, um, we are not in the process with CFTC in any way whatsoever at this point in time. We don't actually onboard any US clients to any part of our platform uh, other than sort of servicing technology. Um, So US is definitely a strategy for us down the road. Um, We've just finalized the hire of a a very key person in the United States um, to help us build out the strategy there. Um, but that's going to be, you know, a longer road. You know, we want to finalize what we're doing with MAS. We want to make sure that, you know, that we're helping MAS Im- improve the licensing framework and structure um, before we, we start engaging with other 
uh, global regulators, particularly around the exchange. Our custodian, DigiVault, um, actually is in the, in the early process for FCA uh, regulation for digital securities. And I think that's the way we're going to have to be going if we want to see the advancement of broader digital securities. So securities issued on blockchain networks. And I think we, we, we've talked about this many times mm-hmm. around, you know, the sort of the first stage of that is private equity, securitization, and sort of these opaque areas of, of paper security markets. So once we start to see that propagate more evenly and openly, then you're going to need regulated exchanges for securities. You're going to need regulated custodians for securities. And obviously those securities are digital. And that's that's a great point that you make about that. I mean, in relation to the growth of the derivatives market to allow your clients to use Bitcoin as a core collateral, how do you think that the paper-based securities will be translated into digital assets to be traded on your platform? And, and why hasn't this you know, been possible yet? It's really about regulation. First of all, it's regulation. Then it's about uh, client adoption. So if you think regulators need to be at the point of regulating these exchanges, these um, custodians, as I said, you need a marketplace. You need a place to have a third-party custodian uh, for digital security specifically. We're getting very close to the point of global regulators getting comfortable with that and starting to sort of create uh, regulatory frameworks around it. The harder part, actually, is getting Japanese pension funds or sovereign wealth funds to the point where they say, okay, we're comfortable booking a digital security in our systems. Because not only do they have to worry about custody and, uh, and marketplace, they need to be able to understand what a blockchain is, what a protocol is, why one protocol is better than another, what a protocol standard is, how it actually gets booked and interacts with the, the rest of our ecosystem and who are credible custodians that they can diversify across. So you've got a whole host of issues that they need to get through risk committee, investment committee, before they're actually going to start to allocate capital to that space. So it's regulation first, and then it's a lot of hard work with these investors. I think, again, you and I have discussed this before, but the way that we do it is actually from our investment banking business, we actually give investors paper securities and say, when you're ready, you can transfer that into a digital security and you can flip it back each way. So effectively for us, what we're doing is going around just planting seeds with these very large allocators of capital at the point that they say, okay, finally, we want to get into this space. They go, oh, we traded that security with Diginex Capital. Maybe we can start to experiment with that and move it over. Look, it's it's great. I mean, as you've as you've noted, these are huge barriers to entry uh, for for even just an interested investor or an interested client. And it's you know, and what you've described is akin to you know opening up a bank account for my three year old. He has no idea what a bank is, no idea what money is, but one day he will. And when such time comes, he's got one. And so you know, it it you got to start him young. <laughs> Yeah, you do, you do. Does he know what Bitcoin is yet, Angie? Uh, you know what? The funny thing is, I mom got him one for his birthday. And so every birthday, I should have just like done the reverse. I was going to do one for every birthday. I should have just do 18 and then work my way down to one. 
when he's yeah. 18. So uh, those are the way that the prices uh, are going. I, I have to say yeah. this is uh, this is interesting space, but um, look, the crypto industry uh, can solve uh, this, you know, in, in those um, very innovative ways that, that you've described, but how else can they? I mean, right now there is a an issue with liquidity. We, we're seeing that being experienced by DeFi, the Ethereum network. We're, we're just, we're seeing a lot of liquidity in the space. Then we're, we're seeing on the other end, the actual uh, 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 cryptocurrency like Ethereum, um, the, the prices are also quite debilitating for some of those DeFi uh, mm -hmm. products. So, so how do we solve this this issue of liquidity? Is that something that um, you're thinking about on the exchange? Um, I think I think in the particular case of DeFi, you're thinking about obviously the gas rates and the pricing of of moving Ethereum around. And I think um, you know this is a problem that Ethereum has had. They had it in 2017 with the ICO uh, bubble. Uh, they had it, you know, with the recent run up in DeFi projects. I think there's you know something like 11 billion dollars of capital wound up in various different DeFi projects at this point in time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, look, Ethereum has talked about Ethereum version 2.0, where you're gonna have scalability, you're gonna have a, a, a lot of addressing of these issues around the Ethereum network. But more and more, we're seeing more interesting protocol, well, not more interesting, but interesting protocols come along um, that could potentially help solve some of these problems. I mean, you've recently had Polkadot issue their network. Um, you've got um, many others that are starting to appear. Um, so there's there's a lot of really amazing minds focused on this particular problem. And uh, it's not our business to be involved in that side of things. We, we position ourselves very much as protocol agnostic with what we do in the security issuance business. Um, but look, we're very encouraged by the progress that the industry's made over the last two to three years. Uh, in this space with protocols being released. Um, I think if you're talking about liquidity around Bitcoin, obviously, you know, Bitcoin liquidity or trading has um, has grown quite significantly. You know, we're regularly with sort of derivatives and spot. We're talking about $20 billion daily market of volume. Um, so we're really starting to see, you know, no doubt about it, institutional participation in this market. And I think you know, we talked about the treasury assets MicroStrategy, when they bought 425 million Bitcoin, apparently Michael Saylor, the CEO, just sat there buying Bitcoin on an exchange over the period of 11 days. And he was just amazed that he didn't impact the price buying nearly half a billion dollars of Bitcoin. But, you know, this is a liquid market. It is yeah. starting to become a, a meaningful asset. And uh, yeah, I don't think that's changing. It's certainly not changing. Uh, and back to you know your listing, uh, as you've mentioned, you you went through a lot of regulatory uh, hoops uh, to get there, um, and and the industry is better for it uh, as more and more move towards making investors feel safe. I mean, I think that that's the perspective of a lot of people. But what do you think about the recent arrest of John McAfee and and the ongoing bit? next debacle what was your reaction to these series of crackdowns look it's it's always the way that we'd we'd thought about the industry even in 2017 i mean we thought that we were going to see regulator clamp down a lot earlier than this and that's actually why we started building diginect 
and we were panicking at the time. We were like, oh my God, you know, we've got to build this as fast as possible because everybody's going to realize this is the way that the industry is going to move. But actually we saw very little uh, in the way of moving in that direction. In fact, you know, many of these exchanges that you mentioned continued to just attract huge amounts of volumes and institutions, they, they, they'd speak to us. They say, look, we've really got no option other than to be transacting on these exchanges, even though we don't know if we're interacting with capital that hasn't been properly KYC'd or AML'd. Um, and this was clearly a very, very big problem. So, you know, now that we've launched Equos, we're starting to get that, that focus from these institutions that for so long were sort of stranded um, for liquidity elsewhere. Um, so I think that it's just a, it's a moment in time. It's the way that the industry had to grow. If you think about, you know, the internet, it grew very much in the shadows in the same way. It was a sort of a, a dark space in the early days. And I think, you know, this is just normal with an emerging technology because you need to have those first movers to drive the growth, to prove the, to the people that are going to bring the regulatory and the sort of the higher standard that there's actually a business to be done here. And, you know, when you take a look at the globe right now, you, your footprint is, is pretty much everywhere, uh, but you don't have a U.S. business quite yet, even though you're listed on the NASDAQ. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the business uh, and a lot of interest is here in Asia. Um, why would exchanges still prioritize the U.S. Uh, market? Why can't the Asian market support the volume uh, while liquidity is not as developed as, as we're seeing in the U.S.? I, th I think liquidity is there in the U.S. I think that actually the, the way that I think about it is if you you say, obviously, you know, China, you've got 1.2 billion people. Um, you've got 700 million emerging middle class. Um, so, the, you know, while the wallet is interesting from a numbers perspective, it's from an actual cash perspective, it's much smaller than you would get from the 300 million population that you have in the United States. The other thing to mention is the, the business is focused on this industry. A large proportion of them, you know, do sit in Asia, but actually a very large proportion of them also sit in the United States. So many of these guys want to be onboarding to our platform, but we can't actually onboard them yet because of US Nexus rules. And so we have to just, you know, wait until such time that we can either partner with someone around a license or actually build out our own platform in the United States. Um, but that is, it is a limitation and it's certainly something that we want to take seriously um, and address as the business develops. Well, Richard, last time we talked, you told me that your goal in a year's time is that we would be sitting here, uh, word on the block, uh, talking about 10 to 20x growth in the derivative market. Where are we, at? Where are we on that? Um, I think we're about stable. Um, largely because, you know, it's, it's taking time for these platforms like ourselves to roll out within regulatory frameworks. Um, but, you, you know, backed CME, they're both doing record volumes at the moment in their institutional derivative products. Um, we're seeing massive growth in the option market, massive growth in the futures market. Um, and as I think last time, it was only two months ago that we were sat here, the majority of der derivative flow was perpetual focus so the perpetual yeah. product that we see on a lot of the the crypto exchanges now i think that that's an important product but i think it's also very important that we get more and more of that option trade because that was the point 
that I was talking about. When you have all the various strikes, all the various term structures, you're able to construct other derivative positions around that, things like variant swaps, vol swaps, VIX products, um, and then you get a whole slew of structured products and that really feeds the market. And then you have that overall growth and it becomes very cumulative very, very quickly. So yeah, I, I still stick with it, 10 times the size uh, by this time next year. Well, I, I think that you know part of that growth story has got to be the foundation. Um, and you've got to have a trusted foundation uh, as you noted those many years ago before you, you built this product and brought it to market. Uh, and it's about education, quite frankly, as people recognize what's going on in this world uh, with the, the, the real perpetual liquidity being the central banks of the world and, and wondering about the value of actual cash. That's, that's I think, uh, also in the background as, as we watch you grow. So... Yeah. It was great. Definitely. It was great understanding where you are today, uh, where we are on track, and and uh, the listing. Uh, congratulations again, Angie. Thanks very much for having me. Really appreciate Richard, it. Richard, absolutely, it was great to have you on the show. A big thanks to Richard Byworth, Diginex CEO, and a big thanks to you for joining us on this latest episode of Word on the Block. I'm Forecast News Editor in Chief Angie Lau. Until the next time.